0: Podcast. I'm Jason Brooks, your host, and as always, I'm excited to have you along for this episode. Um, This one is really special to me because on the show today, I have my writing mentor, Charlie Wetzel. Uh, Charlie's been a professional writer for over 20 years. Uh, He's been writing partners with John Maxwell and Kevin Myers for a number of those years. Uh, Charlie's also done screenplays, he's done fiction, Um, pretty much anything you would want to do in the writing world. Charlie has Done uh, And he's also taught it because he used to work at a college. So we have a very uh, well-informed, very well-experienced guest today. And I'm excited for you to learn from his journey. So I'm not going to take any more time. Um, I'm just going to say welcome, Charlie. Wetwell. Glad to have you.
1: Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And, and all that introduction really means is I'm just old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, See, I used the word experience, right? Like that's, that's the, that was the marketing word instead of old, experience. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> Could have used wizened, wise, whatever. Anyway, um, but as you can see, Charlie and I have a really good rapport. I've spent uh, probably the last five years learning from him, uh, two of which I was directly reporting to him as a member of a writing team that he had for the John Maxwell Company. Uh, and Charlie brought me in and really helped me elevate my writing game. Uh, and so I'm really grateful to have him on so you can learn from him. But we're gonna jump in where we always jump in. Charlie, I'm just gonna ask you to kind of share with the listeners a little bit of your writing story. How did you get to where you are today?
1: Well, um it's a ve- <laughs> it's a very circuitous kind of a kind of a route um, I didn't. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, and writer was not even on the list. So um, when I went off to college, my you know my parents were the children of immigrants, and they were like you know education is the thing, and we want our four children to get a college education. And I was the last one coming up, number four, and um, I, I did not like school. Um, Growing up, I was not a reader, which I I don't know any other writers who were not readers growing up. I didn't become a reader until I was a senior in high school. And the the thing that got me reading was uh, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. I read The Hobbit on a friend's recommendation, and I read those other three books back to back to back in a a few weeks. I I had read maybe four books before that in my life. so. Went off to college, didn't know what I was going to do, you know, thought I was going to be an engineer (laughs) who can't do trig. That's not going to work. And then uh, uh, was looking at the restaurant business and stuff. And I, I took an English class from a great professor named Earl Bryant at the University of New Orleans. And I thought, you know, I think I could I think I could stand this for four years and get a degree. So that's how I ended up majoring in English. Uh, Coming out of that, I thought, well, you know, I'm either going to teach or I'm going to work in the restaurant business as a chef. And those were the two paths I could see. Um, And I I ended up doing both. Um, And I I bounced back and forth for a while. Um, The restaurant business, I loved cooking, but it was brutal. I had horrible back pain. It was bad hours. Not always so great people. I bounced back and forth. Then I went back to graduate school and ended up with a master's degree in English. Um, Still not expecting to be a writer. As, As a matter of fact, I almost didn't get my master's degree because I took, I finished my coursework in like three semesters. And it took me five years to write my thesis because I did not like to write, honest to goodness. So, you know, I had to slog my way through and write that thesis. Um, then I went into teaching. Um, I, I taught grammar. I taught business writing. I taught uh, restaurant management. Um, I taught communication. Um, I, I got to teach one literature class, which I was very, very excited about. <laughs> and um, I, you know, I, I worked uh, as, a, as a college instructor and then as a college dean. Uh, which sounds more impressive than it really is. It was a little business colleges um, at one in New Orleans and one in San Diego. And um, I was, uh, I was blue in San Diego. And at that time, John Maxwell was the senior pastor of Skyline church out there. Stephanie, my wife worked on staff as uh, the administrative assistant to the executive pastor and uh, John Maxwell in a staff meeting said, I need a researcher, and uh, I applied for the job, and there was was some really interesting circumstances of how I got hired, but um, I ended up leaving my job as the dean and starting to work for John, and, you know, when when I heard researcher, I thought, man, I don't know if I want to sit in the library all day every day. But I knew my time at the college was done. I was, I was really frustrated with the leadership there and the direction that the college was going. And by the way, a few years after I left the college, it closed. It was a hundred year old business college um, and it was run so poorly that, um, that they, they shut it down. They just went out of, out of business. It was a nonprofit, but it went out, went out of business. Um, so I go to work for, for John Maxwell. And the first thing he does, he says, here, here's a manuscript. Um, You know, I had somebody working for for me before, my previous researcher who worked on this. Uh, The publisher uh, wasn't happy with it. See what you can do with it. By the way, um, I I got speaking engagements. uh, It was in the summer. He said, I'll see you in six weeks. So my first assignment was rewriting a book called Developing the Leaders Around You by John Maxwell. And uh, that was my first book. Um, so you could say I was surprised by the journey. Now, what's really funny is, you know, I never aspired to be a writer, never thought that that was going to be where I would end up. But after starting that, I could look back at this really strange circuitous journey that I had taken. And I could see it lined up for me to be a writer. Although I didn't drive it. Um, I, you know, in my opinion, God drove it or allowed it uh, and arranged it. And then I looked back and I went, wow, going all the way back to remembering a poem I wrote in like fourth grade. And thought, oh, you know what? Wow. There was a journey there that I didn't even know I was taking. For instance. When I was a junior in high school, well, I'll go back to when I was a freshman in high school. The first F I ever got in any class at any time was the first semester of freshman English in high school. First time I failed a class.
2: So and I did not like English.
1: So when I was a junior, I heard about this dodge in my high school. You could take a writing class and not have to take senior English. So when I was a junior, I took an English class, which was required, and I took the writing class as a dodge to get out of taking English uh, literature when I was a senior. Well, that, that was a very tangible step in that journey. And then, of course, I ended up majoring in English, which is insane. But anyway, there you are.
0: So, what was it like? Uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I'd love for the listeners to kind of hear, um, you know, to just be handed a published author's. I mean, John had been published by that point, but for him to just hand you a manuscript first day out of the gate and say, ah, "See what you can do with it. what would what kind of went through your mind and what was your process in approaching that? How did you how did you jump in and solve that problem?"
1: Well, fortunately, fortunately, I was too stupid to know that what I didn't know. <laughs> um, you know, so, all right, so I had written a lot of papers in undergrad and grad school. I had written a thesis. It was only about 75 pages long. So I had done, you know, a bit of writing. I knew my grammar. Um, I had taught it, which really cemented it, you know, so even the places where I had holes, I had learned um, uh, it, it well. Um, But there was, when I was uh, at the college in San Diego, um, we were a fully accredited, regionally accredited uh, college, which means you go through a self-study process every uh, five to 10 years. And somebody has to write the self-study. And I inherited that job. So I had written something of substance, something of length. And that was really what I considered to be my apprenticeship. so I had sat in the chair already. So when I got his, I went through the first chapter. and I went, well, you know, it's not so bad. I can clean this up a little bit. I got to the second chapter. and I went, OK, this is kind of a mess. And I really, really, you know, I was working on it and trying to, you know, give it some cohesion and some some transitions. And I mean, I had read a lot of great literature, you know, in all, all my years of schooling. So. I could I look, look at a piece of writing and go, that's a good piece of writing, or go, hey, that needs some help. Um, when I got to the third chapter, I made a discovery. In the desk drawer of the office I inherited were original outlines John had written for this book. And I threw away the manuscript and worked from the outlines because I thought, it's all laid out. And I, you know, I kind of, John thinks in outlines. I kind of think that way too. I kind of think in an, a very organized kind of a way. So it made sense to me. And I went, oh, I know, I can do this. So and I found out later, I discovered later that that first chapter, John had actually handwritten that whole thing. So that's why the ch- first chapter wasn't horrible. All the rest of the chapters were my predecessor who had done a horrible job. So I went through and worked this. And, and I'll, ju- I'll just tell you, my number one goal always, always, always when I write is to make it clear. I want to make it crystal clear. I just want it to communicate so somebody reads it, they're not going, wow, what does that mean? What did he mean to say? I, I don't get it. It's just like, no, if I can just make it crystal clear, I feel like I, that's a win. So, I, you know, I don't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. To me, it was just, okay. here's a task I have to accomplish in a set amount of time. I think I actually did it in the six weeks, which I look back now and I go, that's insane. I couldn't do that now. So, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. I think God was looking, you know, God looks out for idiots and drunks. Well, I wasn't drunk, but I might
2: have been a little bit of an idiot at that time.
0: Oh my gosh. So how is, how is the journey? I mean, you know, because starting out you're, you're working for John, but I, I've seen personally, you know, over
2: 20 years, the relationship has obviously changed because there's a lot of um. John respects you a lot, respects your opinion a lot. So how did, how did that
0: relationship evolve? Because one of the things that, you know, we've talked about, with some of the with the previous guest, actually Mackenzie, um, is she's a ghostwriter now for a guy named Benj Miller. Mm. And she was just talking about the trust that person voice is well known has to hand that voice off to another person yeah. and say, Okay, go do with it what you will. And maybe give them a little bit of an outline or a little bit of a, a setup, but it's still saying, you know, I trust you to Produce something that is in line with my voice and in line with my thinking. How did that process evolve for you and John, or or how did the journey with? um, I mean, you could say that John started that with high trust because he just handed you a book, but you know, there's there's obviously been a deepening of it over twenty years. So, how, from your perspective, you know, how did the relationship with John um, evolve, and and what did you learn about being someone's? writing part that might be applicable for others who are in a similar situation
1: so i've got about 16 things running in my head let's see if i can get a few of them out before i forget where i'm at
0: you can go to the whiteboard and write them down real quick
1: that would be easier
2: yeah charlie
0: charlie Charlie has this wonderful gorgeous office that overlooks lake lanier here in atlanta where we live and Like to the right of one of the big windows, there's a whiteboard that is installed on the wall. And about a half to a third of it overhangs the stairwell that you have to use to get up into the office. I can't tell you how many times I've seen him get like just whiteboard inspired and hang himself and dangle precariously over the stairs just to capture the idea and make sure that it didn't get lost. He's he's really good at at putting ideas on that whiteboard. I I don't want to. A a whiteboard
2: is a wonderful.
0: A little less good at doing it on the spot.
1: (laughs) A whiteboard is a wonderful thing, and the one that I have in my office is eight feet wide and four feet tall. So that tells you how much (laughs) I love a whiteboard. (laughs) So all right, see if I can if I can uh, tune into your question. If I miss some pieces, we can circle back. So I think the reason reason John handed me the manuscript was he was desperate. So I started working for him on July 1st of 1994. I got married on April 9th of 1994, three months before. On my wedding day, by the way, I could have (laughs) Stephanie's like, should we ask John to marry us? I said, nah what, what kind of connection will we ever have with him <laughs> let's get dan Ryland to marry us so that, that was her boss so but on my wedding day i'm in i'm in the back with my best man and dan Ryland and tim elmore and um john strolls in because he came to the wedding he sat in the back um and he said, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I I, I I I just got back my manuscript from from my publisher, and they say it's unacceptable. I I, I don't know what I'm going to do." Now I hear these words, but they mean nothing to me because A, I'm about to go on stage to get married, which is scary, and B, I'm thinking about the honeymoon because we waited, and that's all it's got on my mind. But it comes back to me in July that John said that, and I went oh, this is the manuscript. It's already come back from the publisher. That was three months ago. And he's looking for a solution. So in hindsight, I look back and go, he was desperate. And he was getting ready to go on the road. He didn't have time to do it. I mean, he was running a church and running a nonprofit ministry at the same time. And and on the speaking circuit. So he hands it to me. And it was really strange to me. Because when I, you know, I was trying to get John's feedback, and his comment was, "Let's see what the publisher says, what the editor says." Our editor was Bruce Nygren. and we get on the phone afterwards, and Bruce Nygren goes, "Yeah, this is good, and that's good. You know, this could be that." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, it's, it works," and John's like, "Okay." Now you have to remember, John. You, you know, they called Reagan the great communicator. John's the great delegator, and his philosophy is if somebody else can do it 80% as well as I can, I shouldn't be doing it anymore. Well, I guess in those moments, he thought, I, that's 80% as well as I can. So, you know, that was it. It was just, okay, you know, if Bruce Nagarin says it's fine, we're good. And that was, that was it. The next conversation we had about that book was the day that they got the first copy in. Linda Eggers got it in the office, and she said, John I want you to bring this up to his office. So I'm seeing a book that I worked on for the first time, hardcover in print, which is pretty exciting. And I open it up and I go, what is the table of contents doing on the left-hand side of the page opposite the first words of the first chapter? I didn't get to see uh, pages or galley proofs or any, I didn't get to see any kind of edits on this book, probably because it was so late in the production schedule. So, I'm looking and I'm finding everything that's wrong with the book. So, I'm driving up to John's office and I'm thinking, oh man, this is gonna be bad. This is gonna be bad. This is gonna be bad. He's gonna look at everything and I'm just, oh, I'm in trouble. And I hand him the book and John's looking at it and I'm starting to apologize for all the things that are wrong. And John sets the book down, picks up a pen and signs it to me and basically says, this is the first one. I hope there are many more um, and And he alluded to there's a line on page something you know about the, the leaders as good as the people around him. You're, you exemplify that. And he said, "Here, I want you to have this, and he signed it for me. and I realized I'm in a, I'm in a whole nother world because I'd never been in a world where people encouraged and empowered and that kind of thing. So that was the beginning, and I realized okay, there's a trust here. Now we had to, you know, after that, um, you know, I found out that I kind of came from an academic mindset. John doesn't have that. He's told the story a lot of times about, oh, you know, we would compare quotes and, you know, we did that probably twice. He said, here, mark things up in these quotes. So I'm marking quotes and he's like, yeah, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Those are all terrible. That one's pretty good. The rest of them are terrible. I'm like, Okay. So we do it again. Same thing. So I'm getting pretty discouraged as an academic or somebody who came from that background, you're looking for something insightful. You're looking for something that's intelligent. You know, I'm like, do you have any criteria? He goes, yeah, help, hope. Um, let's see. He he rattled it off. I, I always fumble this one. Help,
2: hope, humor, help,
1: hope, humor. There's another H, of course, because he's pastors. pastor. Heart. heart, yes, heart. thank you, thank you. Um, and after that, I went, oh, okay. And then I stopped looking for clever, you know, or smart. He, and he said, he said, what's, what's smart or, or clever, you know, to one person is isn't smart to somebody else. But heart is heart, hope is hope, humor is humor, you know, et cetera. So, so we did that. I spent one day with him while you know while he outlined something but the rest of the time you know I'm just working um and in those early days I did marketing copy I did ins and outs for um the the enjoy life club and maximum impact club um uh, when they said when uh, the president of the company said hey I'd like to do some kind of promotion marketing on these things I started writing that copy for the announcer to use you know so I was doing the 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 backs of, of kits and helping build kits, you know, just whatever they had. Um, but I also did three books that first year. I did uh, the one that I described. I did Breakthrough Parenting, which about 16 people have read. <laughs> Ever heard of Breakthrough Parenting? Oh, you know it, okay. Oh,
0: I'm one of them. I'm one
1: of the 16. Oh, you're one of the 16. <laughs> and then um, I worked on a... Um, John had a good friend who was over the largest international Amway organization in the world, who wanted a basic leadership book. And I took a notebook of old um, uh, lessons that John did and turned that into a book. Which no supervision. He said, "Here, just turn that into a book." So I read through it, figured out what the chapters were going to be, pulled the stuff, and you know, I called it "Strategies for Success," ten chapters. So, um, as far as the other trusts, you know, just. The more I wrote, I think, um, the, the John was never really super hands-on. You know, he, he, I, you know, I would work on something and send it to him. In the early days, <laughs> my favorite, he'd go, yeah, this chapter's getting a little boring. Let me help you on this <laughs> Something every writer wants to hear. Oh, yeah, that's kind of boring. So, you know, so he would help me with that to liven things up. Um, but, you know, he was, he was very trusting from the beginning. And honestly, I just worked really hard to figure things out. Um, I had been pretty much pretty independent. I'm pretty independent by nature anyway. Um, and I tend to be thoughtful. So I, I was always just trying to go, how can I do this better? How can I figure this out? What, you know, what can I learn from this? And just kept, kept working at that um, time and time again
0: that's one of the things that when I came to work for you, that's one of the things that I really appreciated both in hearing the stories, but in watching you work is there's, there's rarely a challenge that you don't look at and think, okay, we can do something with this. And you have, at first I thought it was just an innate gifting and I I still think it is a gift, but I, I, I know now too, that, that you have really worked on it and honed it. um, to where you just, you have a good sense of, like you said, you, you think in strategies. And so you know where pieces go. You know what should be there or what shouldn't be there. Or what, um, you know, might work here, but actually it works better over there. And, and it's really, as a writer under you, it really helped me change the way that I looked at my own work. Because, you know, I used to think that, okay, once, I, once I've once i got it in, it's in, and I, I can't move it from here. I've got to do, you know, and so you really helped me learn to think better about my own work um, and, and trust my instincts more than what I anticipated a publisher or a critic might say. Mm. And it was, re- it was really, really helpful.
1: That's, that's great. Well, and here's the thing I appreciated about John. So if he gave, so John is very organized and he's very linear in terms of the way he thinks and the way he, he outlines. Um, if I saw something and I thought the order didn't work, I would just change it. And then when I would give John the chapter and he would give me feedback, he goes, yeah, I see you changed that. He goes, yeah, I think that works better. He was never, there's no insecurity in that man. If it's be, if it's better, he's cheering. So, I, you know, I never arbitrarily move stuff. Um, in the early days, I struggled. I used to have to, so I remember working on, um, this was true for both the 21 laws of leadership and the 21 qualities of a leader. I had to put every chapter up on the whiteboard. But first of all, I had to put the whole outline on the whiteboard. And write what all the stories were for each of the chapters to see the order and to make sure the flow. We didn't have two stories that were too close to one another in the order. So there were certain things that you were like, okay, this has to be the first chapter. This has to be the second. But all, you know, it's like about four of them really the the order mattered, but the rest of them were shuffled around. It's like, so I'm moving them around. And in the early days, I would have to take the chapter outline he gave me and put that outline on the board and stare at it to, to really. To really get my brain around it and and honestly and John scolded me for this later. He's like, "You need to call me when you've got a problem. I solved the problems on my own. I never wanted to bother him, I, and you know it's like he's busy, he's traveling, he's doing all that stuff. I just thought I'll figure it out. So doing that for years, you know, in the early days, I'd look at something and go, I wonder what John means by this. You jump forward ten years. And I can, you know, John's little um, shortcut, as you know, is he'll do a star or an asterisk and a word. And I'll look at it and go, oh, I know what that is. And I can blow out the whole story. Um, I'll say this other thing too. This is a little bit different, but if you go back in John's history, his first book is Think on These Things. And he's told the story of writing that, you know, crumpling up a lot of pages. The chap- the chapters are only three pages long. It took him forever to do it. He wrote every every word of that book. Same thing with um, The Winning Attitude. Same thing with Developing a Leader Within You. A couple of his other books were early ones that were adapted from his lessons. So somebody else worked on those and he approved them. So I think uh, Be a People Person and Be All You Can Be are in that vein. With developing leaders around you, I was just trying to hold on. I was going, okay, let me do this task. It wasn't until we got a couple more books in that I started to get strategic. And there came a moment, and this is probably the the best insight for somebody who writes for somebody else. I was, I don't know how many books in, three or four books in. And I realized, okay, my goal isn't to say what John would say the way John would say it. My goal is to make the reader feel the way people feel in the audience when John speaks. And because the spoken word and the written word are different, you can't just transcribe what somebody says verbally. And you and I both know we can smell a book that's a transcription. Because you're reading, it's not cohesive. It doesn't go together. It doesn't have the right language. It's dead on the page. You've got to rethink it. So, you know, with his stuff, I realized I've got to use his vocabulary. I have to use his communicator hooks because most writers uh, who come from a background like mine, they take the life out of uh, uh, out of somebody's writing like John's. Those communicator hooks. Well, they're not grammatically perfect. Let's rewrite those. And, And they just then they become dead. So the trick is, okay, let me keep all the life that he wants to put in it and the hooks. Let me make them make sense. Let me try to help the person reading the book feel what they feel, you know, what people in the audience feel with John. And let me make it a little bit smoother because most people who speak for a living, they do so much non-verbally with a look, with a gesture, walking across the stage, standing up, sitting down. All those transitions are missing typically from a speaker's outline. And as a writer, I had to put all those in. And the way I've thought of it for years is, John has punch. He is a heavyweight puncher, but he doesn't have the footwork on the written page. I'm the footwork. To get in, get out, and and supply the transitions. So I kind of chuckle when, when I hear people say, oh, John writes just the way he speaks. They're really different but they're trying to accomplish the same thing and trying to give you the same kind of feeling. So, and I think John trust me because over the course of time, you know, he and I have never, well, I, I think I did tell him once about the punches and the footwork, but the other stuff, you know, I just kind of worked it out.
0: I, there's so many directions that I, that I want to go because there's so many pieces of advice that I I learned from you and I'm going to utterly wreck the outline that I sent for us to follow. But, I do want to ask, That's right. we can we, can, we can, we can,
1: we can, we don't have to do the outline or we can do two parts if you want.
0: <laughs> we'll just do a four hour podcast is what this will become, because uh, I'm trying to get two years worth of stuff that I learned into your ears in an hour listeners. So, um, but I do, I do want to, you know, we've talked a lot about John and I appreciate that because John is a significant part of your journey, but over the years you have become your own writer. Um, You know, you've done work with other people, you've done work on your own. So your latest book um, is actually one that's not with John. Um, How did it differ for you to go from, you know, John's supplying you stuff, he's giving you sort of ideas to bounce off of, but now you're working on this book, The Marvel Studios Story, uh, which is published by HarperCollins Leadership. Now you're shifting and, and and it's it's just you. You've got no leads coming in. You've got no idea prompts. How did 20 years worth of work for John help you? And then um, what was it like for you to, to sit down and be the master of your own destiny um, when you approach that project?
2: All right, so here's what
1: prepared me for uh, the Marvel Studios story. Back in 1997, when John's uh, editor, Victor Oliver, said, I want you to write a book on the laws of leadership. He said, I, I don't want you to do any application. I just want it to be um, just the principles and case studies. Fill it with case studies. So that became the 21 year Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Well, I'm not a business guy. So when he says case study, I'm thinking, okay, that's a story. So Victor said, you know, yeah, like, you know, you should put, you should put the McDonald's story in there. Well, I went and read a book called Beyond the Arches and did research on the McDonald brothers and Ray Kroc. And that became the story that I put in, I think it was in chapter one of 21 laws. Well, when he said plenty of case, case studies, That's 21 chapters, and I decided I was going to open and close every chapter with a story. If you're doing the math, that's 42 stories I had to research and write for that book. And any story in there that is a John Maxwell story about his experience came from him. Every other story was a story that I thought, hmm, who illustrates this point? Oh. Okay, what about that? Okay, let me, let me look at that part. And then researching it, writing it. At, at one point, I sat down and I figured out, because that became our style. Principles and stories. When John speaks, he tells stories, but he does he does personal stories, shaggy dog stories, um, anecdotal kinds of fun stories, you know, like the, the traditional pastors, you know, corny jokes and, and that stuff. Um, and John loves them, and he tells them fantastically, and he's a great performer, um, but he doesn't tell these historical, intricate stories. He loves history, but he just, he just doesn't tell that kind of story on stage. But those are the kinds of things I started researching, and, and I figured out a few years ago, I ballparked it. I think I've written somewhere between six and 700 stories for John's books. So... When we started talking to Harper Collins about Marvel Studios, and the editor said, we really want it to be, you know, because it was pitched as, hey, you know, write this as a business book, and analysis, what makes them good, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And then the new editor that they hired came and said, you know, I really want it to be story-based. I'm like, hallelujah, because I know how to do that. So, you know, for me, I'm like, okay. And as, as you know, I was not a comic book guy. So I didn't have the background in comics on Marvel, so I had to research all of that. Um I am a movie guy, and you know i I shouldn't admit this to you, but ten years ago, if you'd said, "Is that d c or Marvel I would have gone i i don't know i know I know that's sacrilege <laughs> but i i I didn't know <laughs> so I'm coming at this and so when when I hear they're gonna do Iron Man, who and I I always thought Iron Man's kind of a cool character, and I remembered the cartoons, the horrible cartoons um, from, the, from the 60s, 70s. I thought, oh, okay, that, that could be cool.
2: And I heard Robert Downey Jr.
1: And I thought that's either brilliant or the greatest disaster of all time. And then I saw the movie and I thought. That may be the single best casting I have ever seen. And the way they brought in his real life background without referencing it specifically. I mean, when he says, let's face it, that's not the worst thing you've ever caught me doing. Anybody who knows Downey and knows his drug history and how he ended up in somebody's backyard, all all space, it's like, it was freaking brilliant. So, you know, that made me fall in love with Marvel and those movies. Cause I was not really a superhero kind of a guy. So I'm doing all this research and I go all the way back to the 1930s. And I'm thinking, you can't tell this story without Martin Goodman and a guy who was doing pulp magazines, you know, comic books were invented then, you know, it's like, you don't think, Oh, there was a time when that didn't exist. And then it came into being, so I did a lot more research that's not in that book. It, what ended up being a chapter, I think, was two or three chapters that I had to condense down, and there was earlier history that I had studied, and all through that. So the fact that I had been researching stories for John for twenty, well, ninety-seven until I wrote that book, is that twenty years? Um, I had that, and I had, you know, I had done research at the college level, but not not really well. <laughs> And then because I'm a structure guy, I'm just, as I'm reading, I'm figuring out the structure. You know, this is making sense to me. I'm going, oh, Iron Man has to be its own chapter because everything pivots on that. And it's like, okay, the early days, that's a chapter. And then, oh, that kind of renaissance with Stan Lee, where he says, screw it, I'm going to do, you know, the Fantastic Four, not, you know, not retread the original four characters. You know, it's like, When you look at the at the narrow window in which most of the characters that have been put on screen were invented with, you know, with Stan Lee and and Ditko and um Kirby, thank you. Um it's just amazing. You know, so there's this little burst here. But and then the I had done enough, I have done a little tiny bit of stuff in the film world. So I understood that world and how crazy and demoralizing and and strung out everything is. So I thought, okay, this is going to work. What I loved was having the freedom to take it anywhere I wanted. So there were no restrictions. Um, There were no expectations beyond me creating something, essentially on my own terms, thinking, okay, this is built the way I want to build it, edited the way I want to edit it, and presented the way I want to present it, and I don't, you know, I don't disagree with John all that often. There are times when I think ah, I'd be better this way. And John goes, "No, I really want it this way." And I think, well, you know, it's his book, so we're going to go with what he wants. Uh, but with this one, it was it was my judgment call,
2: which was really cool. Love that, uh, man. There's so much more that I I would like to drag out of you, but I really am
0: interested in hearing your answer to some of these uh, questions. Um, which is why I ask everyone these questions because I'm curious that way. Um, Not everyone
1: clabs as long as I do, which is probably part of the problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, believe me. There's, but I, you know, you taught me that there are writers who speak, uh, and then there are speakers who write. I, I, I have, I've interviewed a few writers that enjoy the speak just as much <laughs> as <the> writing <laughs> it. Present <and> company, um, <laughs> present company included. I can, I can go on forever. Um, but the first of the big five questions, um, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but I'd be curious to know if, if maybe, as you've done some introspection on this, maybe the reasons have changed or maybe you've been able to express them in a different way, but why do you write?
2: Well, I,
1: I started writing because it was my job. I'm one of the rare people in the world who got the job before he was a writer in some ways. So, you know, I had done, I had done stuff, but I had not written a book and I got thrown into the deep end and, you know, was told to swim. And, and frankly, if, if developing the leaders around you, if the editor had said, yeah, this doesn't work, I might, I probably would have worked for John for six weeks and been done he would have, you know, let's, that's not working out. Let's, let's, you know, we're going to move on from this. So, you know, it was my job. um, And I, you know, I've always treated it that way. but. There's other stuff inside of me, and you know, I, I'm writing some of my own things. I've done, as you alluded to, I've done a little bit of fiction. I've written a novella um, called A Christmas Wish. Uh, sadly, nobody publishes novellas. <laughs> well, you've read it, so you know you know what it is. Um, and I'm working on you know on on some other things,
2: and there is. There's a thing in me that it resonates with a piece of art, whether it's a song or a novel or a play or a movie.
1: When it touches the human soul, there's something in me that just longs for that i guess i guess c s. Lewis said that it was a longing for heaven, so there's there's a thing in me that that wants to create that I want to create things that touch the human soul
2: um, and to be
1: just blunt about it, I have yet to know whether I really have it in me or not. I think. What I've written with John and with Kevin has helped a lot of people. It's utilitarian. Um, I, th- I think I do it pretty well. And once again, clarity is, is the muse for that. But there's also, there's I'm kind of a weird hybrid. I'm half pragmatist, half artist. And the, you know, the older I get, I turned 60 this year. I long to do more of the artistic in my remaining years. So that's what draws me forward. You know, I, I, I love John. Um, I, I'm committed to helping him. Um, but my soul yearns to create things that touch another human being on a really, really deep level. Um, and I'm, I'm working on that
0: do you think that's always been there or is that something that maybe just sort of awakened after X number of years of, like you said, writing to a purpose, you know, of helping people, of giving people pragmatic advice, you know, is the desire for art maybe a response that's come out of that or was that artistic longing always there? Because you're also a really good chef and i can testify to that because my wife and i have almost obliterated the gumbo that you sent me
2: awesome
0: Um, it's very good it's very very good um and so there's there's art in cooking as well so there's there's these facets of you where you know if i were going to guess i would say that the art has always been there but the pragmatic road appeared first um but but no, I don't want to, I don't want to assume. Where do you, I mean, how would you answer that? Would it, would you say it's always been there or it's a response to God I've been doing this for 20 years. I really want to do something else.
1: Well, no, it's, it's a, com- like everything, all my answers, it's complex. So first of all, I have some baggage. My mother was a visual artist. Um, she had me at 41. So I was late, a late baby. And In a lot of my growing up years, she was, she dedicated a lot of time to her artwork. And to be honest, I felt a little neglected by that. So I had a little bit of resentment towards that art world. I also thought her artsy friends were kind of weird. So, you know. um, (laughs) So there was a little bit of that resistance to that whole thing. in high school, I think when you're a freshman, they have you take a test of what your interests are. And I'm, I was very unself aware back then. And I think my top three were like art, literature, and music. And I totally ignored that. You know, I went off, yeah, I'm going to be an engineer going off to school. So, so I think there was a little bit of baggage with that. When I was cooking, I, I did see the art in that. And I was attracted to the art of that. But to be honest, I didn't think of myself as an artist. I thought, and I still think of myself as a craftsman. So I have always focused on, okay, let me learn my craft. And there's kind of a thing that says, you know, do your craft with the highest level of excellence and let somebody else worry about whether it's art. So there's, you know, there's kind of some of that attitude in there. But when I was, gosh, after i had worked for john less than 10 years it was after i was done with 21 laws i started to wonder if i was an artist and at that time there was a guy at um, at 12 stone leading the worship named jim dellis he's a producer he he produced the original shows on the disney cruise line so he's a producer songwriter high level guy and i went out to lunch and i'm like jim am I an artist? <laughs> you know, I'm saying, I feel this. I'm feeling, he goes, well, of course you're an artist. And I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> so, yes, I think it was always there. I think for a while, there was a season where I was trying to, you know, say no to it. And, and when, I was, when I was cooking professionally and I stepped away from it, I, there was a little bit of mourning in me and I thought, have I walked away from, from what is my one art? And I thought, oh, but on, this, on, the, on the other hand, the restaurant re- business is brutal. You got to be tough to hang in there uh, physically and emotionally and mentally. And, you know, and back then I just thought, you know, I saw the, the chef I worked with who was working like 80 hours a week and having health problems. I think he was only in his 40s. And I thought I was single back then. I thought, you know, I think someday I'm going to want to be married and not to a restaurant. And that was one of the reasons I walked away from it. But I think the art, the art was always there. I think you're right.
0: I I don't think I've heard any of that before. So that was really cool. Thank you. Um, Second question. What convinced you that you
2: are a writer, even though you've already said that you don't consider yourself that? What, 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 yeah. I'll just go back to the original question and quit trying to frame it.
1: That's what right. I can answer
2: you're
1: a writer. I, I can answer that question. Two things. so and and this, I think, is going to help um, the people listening to the podcast. I think for any human being to become a real writer, they have to do a project that feels bigger than them and that feels impossible. So I think Everybody's got one. And I think once you get on the other side of that and complete it, then you can be a writer until you complete that one. You're really a wannabe writer, or you're an aspiring writer, or you're a developing writer. So for me, that was the self-study at the college. It was about 150 pages. So the the chief administrative officer of the college sent me. She said, yeah, I think you should work from home on Monday so that you can write this self-study. And the pre, my predecessor there talked about writing the self-study all the time, and then she left to go to another college. And then I'm like, okay, well, at least she's been working on it for six months, I'll get her notes. She hadn't written a single thing. She had just talked about it. So I had to start from zero. And I remember my first day at home, sitting at my desk, the same desk I have now in my office. It was in my bedroom back then. I, I spent the day at that desk. And I had one sentence to show for the eight hours I spent. And it wasn't even a good sentence. And I thought, this is the hardest thing I'll ever do in my life. And I'd written my, you know, it took me five years to write my, my thesis. I'm like, I don't have five years. So I, pl- I just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away and, and got that written. So there's some project. So the, for, the, for, for you who are listening to this, it could be a book. It could be a song. It could be a play. It could be a screenplay. It's something you go, gosh, this is huge. I don't know if I can do this. Write your way through that because if you finish it, even if it's crap, you will be a writer. So that was the thing. And I, in hindsight, because I saw other people who couldn't get through, I had an assistant um, in the early days at the Maxwell organization who had a project and he took freaking forever, like nine months to do it. And I finally told him, dude, if you don't write this first one, you don't get another project. And that's when I realized, okay, everybody's got one. You've got, you've got to pass through. The other thing I'd say is when I finished the 21 laws of leadership, I felt like God whispered, your apprenticeship is done. So I don't know how many books I had done by then.
2: You want to pause and check your phone real quick?
1: Yeah, it's it's on mute, but it's still doing what it's doing. And that's my that's my computer that's doing that.
0: In case you haven't picked up on it, Charlie is very popular. Between family and professional, there's, there's lots of folks that want to talk to him. So we're fortunate to get an hour, so let's not waste it. Um, who, is your, who would you say is your greatest support or mentor as a writer?
1: Well, my greatest support um, by far is Stephanie. Um, Stephanie has edited every word I have ever written. Um, and that's a lot, because I think I'm getting close to 100 books now. Um, so everything I've I've, I've read, have re- read that I've written, she's read. Um, as far as mentors, you know, I've not really had a formal mentor. Um, Earl Bryant, Doctor Earl Bryant, inspired me to to go the English route. Doctor Ken Holditch made me realize. Uh, uh, the precision of language, and um, <laughs> and <laughs> the precision of grammar and nuances. Because he had a um, uh, he was one of my thesis advisors. He had a really really fine tuned ear. He was a southern gentleman from Mississippi who um, had been friend who had grown up um, in this. Uh, let's see, oh, I'm trying to remember this is a different history. Grown up in the same town as Elvis. I remembers him from a talent show in junior high school. And was friends with Tennessee Williams. So um, he was a big influence. Um, Dr. Charlie Bishop, he's, he helped me understand that I could write in an in a advanced composition class. Um, John helped me to really understand some things about communication. Um, but a lot of this has just been me figuring it out, you know, just by doing it. I mean, how do you become a writer? By writing you know, that's it. You, you may go to school and get a degree. I didn't learn how to write by getting an English degree or a master's degree. I, you know, I learned it by writing after the fact.
0: I love that. that. I, you know, I love the fact that you've actually been your own mentor by just sitting down at the keyboard and doing the work. You know, you have taught yourself, you have invested in yourself, but there's no, it's, I'll, I'll be dead honest with you. It's great to have a mentor. I've loved having Charlie in my life. But by the time I had gotten to Charlie, I had spent many hours at a keyboard by myself, teaching myself how to do the work and just sending crap out just to see what might happen. Um,
2: you so you were. Is
0: a,
1: by the time you I came had, to me, you were already a writer. I mean, that's why I hired you. So, and I know you interviewed Jesse. You So there are a lot of people who want to be writers who want to be hired as writers. I didn't want somebody who wanted to be a writer. I needed somebody who was a writer. And I could kind of show them the ropes for the Maxwell world. So when I looked at your resume, I thought, this guy's a writer. You've already proven it. And with Jesse, Jesse didn't. So one of the things I asked for was published clips. And you had a bunch of them. Jesse didn't have a bunch. But he had his blog. And I hired Jesse on what, two things, three things. He had, the, he had a business degree, and John's in a business world. He had a, um, a theology degree. We worked with pastors and churches, but he had ground away at his blog for years. That's a terrible master, having to write every week or multiple times a week the grind of that is much more difficult than the grind of writing books. The thing with a book is you've got to hang in there for one thing for all these months. But I watched Stephanie, Stephanie did John's blog for like seven years every week. And I watched, I thought, man, that can just chew you up and spit you out. Jesse had done that. So he didn't have to learn how to write. He had done the grind. And that's what it takes to become a writer. So you, I mean, you were already an excellent writer. I just helped you figure out how to function in the Maxwell world.
0: Well, I I appreciate that. But you you opened the doors for a lot of other things um, beyond the Maxwell world,
2: even though I'm still in the Maxwell world and love it. Um, All right. What is the toughest lesson you've learned about writing? Well, um, The promise um, is beautiful and inspiring. The process is ugly and painstaking.
1: <laughs> so, you know, people dream of being a writer, and anybody who's studying ri- studied uh, writing knows that you know the famous quote, "I hate writing, but I like having written." you know that's the the promise of writing is creating something beautiful or creating something wonderful or something helpful. It's, you know, the best-selling book. It's the, the screenplay of the blockbuster uh, movie, uh, you know, you, the, the, the doorway into a speaking career, if you want that. You know, the promise is very seductive and beautiful. The reality is sitting at your desk for hours and grinding away and grinding away. And grinding away. Um, and, you know, you got to be, you got to be willing to sit in the chair. Um, you know, some, somebody in the Maxwell world asked me one time, you know, I said, how do you, have you managed to write so much? I said, you know what? I think it's focus. I know how to stay in the chair. Um, and I didn't know any better. You know, when John hired me, I, you know, first I was in the office and then I, <laughs> the sales department would send me phone calls of people, you know, can you explain this product to this pastor? Or sometimes I would just pick up the phone and it would just be the pastor who had called That You know, they transferred to me, you know, hey, can you explain to me the complete year of sermon outlines? Yeah, okay. So <laughs> when I was working on the success journey, I, I said, anybody mind if I work from home? And they're like, "No." Nope. So I work from home just to keep people from interrupting me. And, you know, when we moved from San Diego to Atlanta, I'm like, San, do you care if I work from home? They're like, all all the time. They're like, nope, you always get your work done. But, but, you know, I get up in the morning, I shower, I get dressed, I come to my desk. I'm here till dinner time. You know, I, I stop for lunch and have lunch with my wife, but I didn't know any better. So I said, so, well, well, it's an eight-hour job. You know, 10 years in, I I'm reading, you know, most most writers can last about four hours. Some two hours, you know, and then they're doing other stuff, and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> duh!" <Crap. laughs> so, I mean, it's the grind. It is the grind, you know. You were you were, you were there when I did my my little seminar. You know, it's like the secret to to writing is keeping your butt in the chair. Um, <laughs> that's what you got to do. No, I mean that-
0: that's, I mean, you you taught me that lesson so well. It's like, you know, the, the, the two frenemies of, of every writer is an empty chair and an empty page.
2: Yeah. You
0: yeah. know, an empty chair can be your best friend in the world, or it can be the worst thing you ever face, and the same thing with an empty page. And once you learn how to coexist with both and be consistent with both, you can really achieve something. And, and you know, I, I learned a lot of that on my own, but, you know, just working with you and, um, you know, honestly, I didn't know I was capable of doing as much as I'm capable of until I came to work for you. Because we did a crap ton of stuff within the first, like, six months. <laughs> and there were days where it was like, oh, my God, I have picked the wrong job. Um, this is... I don't know that I could do this. And then there were other days where it was like, no, this is what you were born to do. You just didn't know
1: it. Um, And I was just just so grateful to have help.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because up until then, you were the whole production line. So I can imagine how that felt. Um, All right. What do you hope your writing will accomplish at the end of your life when all is said and done, whether it's with John or the things you do on your own? What do
2: you hope your writing does? Well, for John,
1: my hope with John, the work with John is that um, I helped him accomplish his mission. So in the early days when I was working with him, um, my wife Stephanie was like, your name should be on the cover. You should be getting credit. You know, she was very, very militant, which was funny because then when she started doing John's behind-the-scenes social media and blogging stuff, she's like, yeah, I don't really need any credit. <laughs> but in those early days, she was very adamant. And I really had to wrestle down how I felt about that. And I thought, you know, I started off at at John's church as a volunteer and a leader. and And, and I thought, you know how they put the... The pastor's name on the marquee or on the bulletin. I don't expect my name to be on the bulletin or the marquee. Or you know, I'm just somebody laboring in the ministry with this church and with him. And I, and I kind of feel like that for this. I think you know what I'm helping. And I'm helping him to accomplish his God-given mission. And I think his stewardship of me is between him and God. So I think he has to answer for how he used me. And my responsibility is to give all I have to help advance the mission for for the sake of, of the kingdom, you know, because of my faith. For my stuff, I really have that desire to write something that connects with the human heart. You know, there's certain songs that I hear and they just melt me. And I just think that is done with such excellence. You know, I go to a Broadway show, the talent on the stage. It's like, God, you created human beings who can actually do that. That's just spectacular to me. Or I read, you know, I read um, recently, I read uh, Neil Gaiman's, uh, is it the the ocean at the end of the lane or the sea at the end of the lane? And I'm reading the the ocean at the end of the lane. And I'm reading it. And it's a good book. And I get to the end, oh my gosh.
2: And I'm just crying. I'm like, oh, I I never
1: saw it coming. And it's just spectacular. And I think, oh, to be able to write in my lifetime to write something like that, that touches me the way some of these things do. I mean, I was a non-reading kid who hated school, who read the Lord of the Rings of all things. And that turned me into a reader. And I believe that anybody who can learn to read can conquer the world. Because if you you can read, you can learn anything. And I'll just tell you how insane Stephanie and I
2: are. Um, My son is 22.
1: He's about to turn 23. When he was four and five years old, She and I read the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy to him out loud. And he sat for it, engaged with it. All three of my kids are good readers. And I thought, that's one of the handful of things that is important to me as a a dad, is to make my kids readers. But if you read something or hear something or experience something that touches your soul and i think makes you long for god and for heaven to be able to create create something like that even once
2: would be spectacular I, I love that i love that um all right the next question
0: i have for you and you can expound on this you can make it short it's it's entirely up to you but what is the one piece of advice you would give an aspiring writer
2: and why? Keep your butt in the chair
1: and finish something. It's really easy to start something. There, there has never been a project that I've worked on that I haven't gotten to the middle of that I thought, this is never going to freaking end and I'm going to die doing it. And I just think I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can finish this.
2: Ah, you have to embrace the grind. There may be people, you know. So one of, one of the writers I
1: admire is Ray Bradbury. Um, and you know, going back as an adult and reading a lot of his stuff, it's really hit and miss. You know, some of his old stuff is very, very, very dated. But I, you know, I've read the uh, the Zen and the Art of Writing, you know, by him, and and you know. There's sometimes he turns a phrase and I just think, oh, I'll never be a real writer. I'll never be able to do that. Um, So somebody like him, you know, he sits down to the page, doesn't know where he's going to go. No preconceptions. And it just seems like, you know, somebody like that, he can just, just write. I think for most of it, it's a grind. Because, you know, you can't wait for inspiration. You got to just, you got to grind away. And if you're in the middle of something, um, if you're anywhere from a third to two thirds through, it's just going to feel like hell at some, on some days. And you're going to say, I'm an imposter. I can't do this. I can't figure it out. It's never going to work. Who am I kidding? Let me go, you know. Cook something, rearrange something, clean something, drink something—you know, whatever it is that you're going to go. Oh, yeah, I'll do anything but other than this, watch something. You know, watch something on YouTube, whatever. You got to embrace the grind. You got to keep working at it. You got to just—you got to just keep plowing ahead. Um, and I, I'll say this too: for the first ten years that I was writing, I would write a chapter. And I would take it to Stephanie because she was the first reader on everything. And I would say, I only want to know one thing. I just want to know whether or not it's crap. And that was true for every chapter I wrote for John for years. Just uh, just let me know. Because you don't know when you're in the middle of it. The
2: only way is to finish. So get your butt in the chair. Embrace the grind and finish something.
0: I, I agree with that so much because there's so many times that I've sat down and it's like, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do here. But once I start my fingers moving and start getting words down, that's when I discover the way forward. I've never yeah. discovered the way forward in any written work sitting there and staring at it or watching a YouTube video or, you know, contemplating whether I missed my calling as a garbage man. (laughs) Uh, The only way way I've found my way through is you just start typing because you can always fix it. You can't fix it if it's not on the page.
1: That's Uh, true. And and let let me say one other thing, just because um,
2: I think this, this is important.
1: Find find your way in anywhere you can so by that we tend to think okay i have to start at the beginning sometimes what comes to you isn't the beginning if you can find a way in an entry point a hook an idea it can be anywhere in the process put that down start writing that even you know whether you're writing the actual text or you're outlining it get that way in on an article, there are so many times when I've written, I start with what is, ends up being like the third paragraph and then go, oh, oh, now I know what my beginning is and I backtrack. Or I write three paragraphs and I get to the fourth paragraph and I go, oh, those first three paragraphs, there. it's what I call throat clearing. That's all garbage that needs to be thrown away. I didn't know it was, but by the time I got to that fourth paragraph, that was my real starting point but that was my on-ramp. Now I can throw that away. Nobody needs to read that, but at least I'm in, I'm writing something. So if you can find a way in, it doesn't matter where it is or what it is, take that in. It's, it's a gift.
0: (laughs) And that's a brilliant piece of advice because uh, I tend to think so linearly that I have to start at the start. But, you know, even when I was working on my novel, there were just days where it was like, all right, I I, can't, I got nothing for this chapter, but I can think of something for this one. I'll go work on this chapter. And then maybe something comes up that actually helped me with the one that I had nothing for. So that's a, that's a great piece of advice. Um, I know you are not a huge social media guy, but this is a social media age. Uh, and whether you're tweeting or not, uh, I think people should follow you. So where can people find you online? Or where would you like for
1: people to find you on? Okay, well, yeah, so i I was believe it or not, I was an early adapter to Twitter. So I was on before Stephanie was. Uh, and then, you know, Stephanie was so good at. I recommended her, that she worked with John on his. so, but in the last eh, year or two, I tend to either get angry or jealous. <laughs> but I will say this, so, My Facebook is Charlie Wetzel. Uh, My Twitter account is at Charlie Wetzel. Those prove that I was an early adapter, I guess. My Instagram, which I don't know that I've posted on or not, I can't remember, is Wetzel Charlie. Stephanie set that up for me. (laughs) And um, um, I think Wetzel and Wetzel.com is live right now. W-E-T-Z-E-L-A-N-D. Wetzel, Wetzel, and Wetzel, dot com. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I've not been very good at you know. the The reality is, I love the I love the art of writing. I love the craft of writing. I have learned to love the process of writing, um, but I'm I'm not I'm not very good at marketing.
0: <laughs> we have, we have a friend in common who said. I, he's taken to saying it a lot lately. Um, work on being good. The brand will come later on. Um, yeah. That's, I don't, I can't remember the first time I heard John say that, but he said it a lot lately. And I've, I've taken that to heart because it is one of the things that gets, at least for me, it was really discouraging was when you're first starting out and you're looking for guidance and you're looking for somebody to maybe give you some tips or some ideas. Everybody's got a great program. And the program almost invariably starts with just market the crap out of yourself, get out there, build your Twitter. I wanted to learn how to write, not market. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. there are some people that they would prefer to learn to market instead of write. But if you're really wanting to write, concentrate on the writing. Yeah. Have your social media platforms and all that sort of stuff. Cause it does matter. But if you suck, it doesn't matter how good of a follower followership you have. Um, it won't
1: last very long so I, i'm like you um you know the, in the so the first writing conferences i went to would have been in the late 90s you know pre-social media and i went wanting to learn craft and typically they're focused on the business now that's useful because it helped me um work in john's world but it was the craft that i was really interested in. it's like with cooking you know i'm When I'm doing a dish, I'm always striving for perfection. I've never achieved it, but I've got in my mind's eye or in my mind's taste (laughs) bud what something should taste like, and that's what I'm going for. You know, that abstraction that I'm trying to to achieve, and, and, you know, same thing with writing. Hey, tell
2: me a little bit. So
0: Wetzel and Also, don't forget, and I'll put this in the show notes, uh, the Marvel Studios story, uh, which is out now through HarperCollins Leadership. So I'll drop a link in there. Um, But tell me a little bit. You mentioned this the other day on just a personal call between you and I, but I'm going to put you on the spot and give you a little extra accountability for this project. Tell me about the, the personal writing project that you've kind of started since you mentioned cooking.
1: Yeah, so um, I stopped working on a book that I've been working on on and off for 20 years. After uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone came out, I, I decided I was going to write a, a young adult book, which, I don't know, I've got four, five, six chapters written, but it's it's not good, I don't think. Anyway, it's got problems so in during uh i guess it was the spring i started to get this stirring to write about my culinary journey so i've begun writing a book i you know i realized i pro- you know if if you somebody asked you okay what kinds of memories do you have the most of in your life you know if you were to put them in different buckets i realized I maybe have more food memories than any other string of memories in my life. And I thought, and I, I've i messed around with the idea of writing some kind of a memoir before. And I just thought, I, one day I was working, I got this idea, and I got really intrigued by it. So I did two things. I wrote an introduction. I actually, yeah, it was like a word from the author. It basically said, why would you read this this book because I'm a nobody and I'm not a celebrity chef, and you, you have no idea who I am. And I wrote a biography, a new biography for myself. And I was just, I just thought, I think maybe I'm supposed to do this. Well, then I was busy writing a book for John and, and a book for Kevin this spring. And when the dust cleared, I came back to it. So um, my working title is Defined by Food. My culinary journey, and it is how I became a chef, the role that food has played in my life, a little bit of the spiritual journey that is mixed in with that, which I'm still figuring out. Um, and i'm I'm only about five thousand words in, I, I guess six thousand with my intro. I, I don't know. I'm about to finish the first chapter, so um, I keep thinking I'm about to finish the first chapter, but I keep remembering more things and So my hope is that in uh, 2022, if you Google Charlie Wetzel, uh, that that book will be out there in the real world by then. So I would like to finish writing it by the end of this year, but I realize we're in mid-October. Ain't going to (laughs) happen. But I'm keeping my butt in the chair (laughs) and I'm working on it.
0: And and I'm being the, the the devious friend by making you tell that story, but I'm gonna ask you if you're listening, follow Charlie on Twitter, and you can just check in with him every so often and just say how is defined by food coming. And you can also, as a personal favor to me, because I absolutely love the novella that he mentioned, A Christmas Story. It is one of the most imaginative and magical. Um, stories that I've read in a long time. It's a reinvention of the origin of Santa Claus. My children absolutely love it. We're going to read it again as a family this holiday season. So you can jump on Twitter and tell Charlie that he needs to self-publish that novella on Amazon as an ebook or a little paperback, and you would be doing me a favor because that story needs to be into more places in the world than just my son's bedroom. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll i'll take that under advised but maybe i can get it out there by well at least it's written i could actually get it out by christmas
0: yeah <laughs> it's done all you got to do is format that sucker and amazon will get it out there for you but man it has been an absolute i always love talking with you um you have meant
2: so much to me and my writing journey you are um you are a treasured friend and mentor um and a big part of why
0: I am where I am. So I am grateful for you giving me this much time and, and giving the listeners this much of, of your personal story. And um, I hope it was as much fun for you as it was. For oh, it was a
1: blast. You know I love you, brother. And uh, I wish I had as many talents and skills as you have. You are very, very talented. Um, even the fact that you're doing a podcast, I'm like, more power to you. I couldn't do it. <laughs> but I, I'm glad to come on anytime you'll have me. <laughs>
0: Uh, we we may bring you back on before too long just to check and see how you're doing on the memoir but that is it for uh, this week, thanks for listening to the Learning to Write podcast I hope you'll join me next week when we'll have another episode, until then keep your butt in the chair and keep writing